You're listening to the Rapid Realization Podcast, where we discuss the mind, body, and everything on healing from within, for you to get inspired to finding your own inner wisdom, to be more self-actualized and become aware of your highest potential. And I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Belkansky, a certified clinical hypnotherapist and mind coach at Rapid Realization, and I welcome you. So let's begin. And welcome to today's episode. We're going to talk about words and the words that you choose and the ones that you may want to be more aware that you may be using that may not be really positive words. And I'll explain this a bit more because words are very, very powerful. They're our main form of communication, obviously. I mean, we stream a couple of words together and we have a sentence If you stream a couple of sentences together, you have a paragraph. You stream a couple of paragraphs together, you have a whole story. And something that can be interpreted into a whole idea or or our concept is created by words put together. And so the words that we choose have very deep meaning. And I know for me, in my training as a hypnotherapist, I have... Um, really honestly trained in words because hypnotherapy is all about using certain words at certain rates or certain frequencies in order to emphasize on certain words to be able to really highlight or create change, to highlight maybe um, a certain thing that someone may not be seeing is um, that they need to hear or uh, to create influence, right? So words are influential, especially if we choose the right way, right way of expressing those words. And words do vibrate. Words do have energy within them. And this was demonstrated by a doctor um, named, he's a Japanese uh, scientist um, by the name of Masaru Emoto. And you can Google him or look him up on YouTube. There's a lot of different uh, literature topics on him because he's well known for doing the water experiments. And what um, Dr. Emoto did is he basically took water and froze it. Um, I mean, before he would freeze it, he would basically put the water to um, music or or certain affirmations. And then he would look at the water under the microscope and what he found was that the water created different crystals from the types of uh, music, sound, or words of affirmations that he would um, express to the water. And it's fascinating to see this, but um, the crystals, you know, were either very organized and beautiful or they were quite chaotic. And for example, if you played like heavy metal music to the water, those were the the crystals were very chaotic. There was no like uniform form to them. But if he played um, opera or, you know, uh, instrumental symphony music, it was they're very beautiful and more um, calming and just like had a bit more order to it. So he found that that music um, created these crystals, but as well as words created these crystals. And there are words that are either more um, organized, more mm, harmonious, words that are more positive in in a sense, and there are words that are more negative in a sense. And I want to bring these words to you so that you become aware in regards to the words that you're using in your mind or with or with someone in your conversations, because words communicate a lot more than that definition of that word. 
And we'll start off by the words always and never. Now, the words always and never, these are extremes of one and another. Always, of course, means all the time, and never means not occurring in time, <laughs> that it doesn't occur at all. And we do use these words very unconsciously. We use these words, especially if we're, you know, um, engaging with um, a partner or a friend. Uh, if we're complaining about someone, we'll be like, oh my God, he never brings me flowers or he always complains. You know, we, we emphasize those words, but I want to highlight that when we use these words, they are very rarely true. I mean, think about all the times that you've used this word, never. My husband never talks to me. My mom never pays attention to me. I never get picked on for good things. I um, never get talked to or people never talk to me or people never see me that way. I mean, is that really true? Like, is that really never happened before? If you really, really, really look at it. And that's how I, I really ask that question. When I hear this word constantly said, uh, he never does this. He never does that. It's, it's a very negative side of the picture of like, Oh, well, it's not possible. It's never there. It's not going to happen. It doesn't, has never happened. So why would it happen? And the thing is, though, if we look at all the times that we've used the word never, it's rare that it's even true because the reality is like, oh, my husband never talks to me. Never? Of course. Come on. They've, they've talked to you. My mom never pays attention to me. Never? Like, come on. They have paid attention to you even if it was for a couple of seconds or a minute or two. I never get picked on for good things. Like, really, like, I'm sure that is just a perspective in regards to what you see that is good. So, I mean, if I say that I've never been picked on for good things, I would say that that is just a skewed perception of what I'm seeing. Like, there are plenty of good things that have happened that I've been picked for. Even if it's as simple as being picked to skip the line <laughs> when the next cashier next to me opens up and says, hey, you, come on over here. <laughs> Hasn't that happened to you? Or you've been picked on in a long line and, you know, you happen to be the next one up and they're like, hey, just open my register over here. Come on over here. You've just been picked for, for a good thing to skip the line to skip ahead and not have to wait as long as you originally had to. That's a good thing. And so we can see what we want to see. But the fact that never, never really happens is, is false. And we have to be aware that when we're using these words, we're putting a negative connotation to um, what it is we're talking about, to not open the door to that ever happening. So if you want, for example, your husband to talk to you or your mom to pay attention or to pick on, be picked on for good things, then um, we would not want to choose never. We would want to start to see that the opportunity is there and not close the door to the opportunity so we can start to see all the good times that we have been picked on that um, that mom does pay attention to us or that husband does talk to talk to you so that we can start to see the situation a bit differently because never is not true. It's not possible that that never, 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 never happens. And if it is true, let's say theoretically, because I've gone through these conversations where 
people will be like, oh, well, you know, they, they never really saw me that way. And trust me, I will try to really challenge them to see it differently, but they're, they're very consistent. Okay. Possibly then they really never, you know, did those good things or never saw you that way. Um, and if that is true, were they capable of ever doing those things? And if they're not, then that's fine. Okay. For example, (laughs) I had a wife one time, you know, she's like, oh, he never brings me flowers. And she was just complaining about him. A lot of things about her wife, his, um, about her, her husband and, um, okay, fine. The fact is, okay, he never brought you flowers, but did you ever ask him for flowers? (laughs) Was he capable of bringing you flowers? Yes, he was capable of bringing flowers. Did you ever ask him to bring you flowers? No, I never asked him to bring, then how would he know to bring you flowers? <laughs> so so we have to kind of look deeper as to, okay, were they not capable of doing that? And I know that example is maybe not the best one, but I just want to show that like when we use the word never, are we closing the door to something that could happen or is it something that we want? And if it's something that we want, then we have to take the appropriate action to have that happen to control what we can control. We cannot control someone, for example, uh, bringing us flowers, <laughs> but we can ask and hope because that's what we can control. We can control what we ask for or be clear upon what we want as opposed to just, you know, closing the door or continuing to be upset that someone never does something. And so that's one example is the word never. Now, always is the opposite of that. So always means all the time. And usually when we use this word, we're using it in a negative context as well. Oh, they always pick on me. They always um, complain. They always, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And the same thing goes for never. Always is not true. It's unlikely. It's very rare to be true, I should say. Not always not true. It's very rare that it is true because someone that always does something a certain way are not changing. They're stagnant. And sure, that's okay. Let's say someone always gets up in the morning and makes coffee and, you know, always works out. Uh, Fine and great. (laughs) That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to um, characteristics within someone that is, that is, typically caught upon from someone else that you say is a negative thing. So they always do this. So if we want to start to see life in a more positive way, we have to be aware of the words that we're using that's closing off that change for that to be seen differently. So the word always and never are those words that we're kind of closing the door for us to see all the opportunities and times that they really do maybe pay attention or do, do something in a more positive light if we want to change a a relationship particularly. So if we want to change a relationship or have a proper dialogue with someone, it would be most advisable to avoid these words if um, you want to improve upon the communication. So using the words always and never are, are extremes of each other and also are rarely true. So be aware of these words, especially when it comes to disagreements or you know, conflict with someone, you're going to want to avoid using the words always and never. And just because we're kind of on this topic of dialogue and conflict of relationships, I also want to just throw in that another thing you're going to want to avoid is using the word you when you're in a disagreement or conflict. 
And that's because you is basically creating a defensiveness for someone because you're um, telling them what they feel or what they are or that it's their problem. So when you're in a disagreement with someone, you're going to want to refrain from the word you. You're going to want instead say I. So I statements, I feel this way because, or I feel that, or I whatever. I had to add that little, this little tidbit since we're talking about conflict. So the next word would be try. Now, this is a bit of a tricky one, and many may not know this one, but the word try has a bit of a negative connotation as well. So let's say, for example, I dropped my pen and I was like, hey, try to pick that up. Why don't you just try? I mean, if I say it that way, I'm communicating a lot more. I'm actually saying you're going to fail or, you know, that that this is a sense of helplessness, that you're not going to do it. It indicates that you attempt, but you just do not succeed. Try to pick up the pen. Why don't you try to do it? And so this isn't one that I wouldn't want you to kind of make an extreme of, but I just want you to be aware Because when we really want to do something in our life, yes, we can try to do things if it's new and it's something that we've never done before. It is an attempt, right? It's an attempt at something that we're attempting. But, you know, if it's something that we really, really want to succeed and feel more confident about, you don't say try. Because try does have this background hidden connotation that that you're going to fail, but that you attempt to do it but you don't actually do it. So if I say, try to pick up the pen, you're going to try. Or would it be more appropriate if I said, hey, pick up the pen, just do it. Then you do it, right? There's no doubt in that word because you just do it. But if I say try, then there's kind of this doubt in the background of that word. So again, I don't want to really um, burden you with these words to to change your whole, to be like hard on yourself about using these words all the time. Because the thing is, we do use these words and they come very naturally, but I just want you to be aware in regards to how you're using it so that you can be more aware for yourself, for you. So if you keep on telling yourself, oh, I try and try and try and I never succeed, or I keep on trying, you know, really listen to what you're telling yourself. Instead, start to tell yourself in a more positive light that, no, I'm going to do it. Maybe I have to do it a couple of times, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to succeed as opposed to I'm going to try it and, you know, possibly fail. <laughs> so it's a different way of communicating when we when we are aware that there's almost this um, this verbiage has a certain vibration to it because it does try is different than attempt or do it. I mean, even the word attempt almost is like the sense of you attempt and you fail <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of hard to fully avoid, but I just want you to become aware of these words so that you can, you know, make sure that if you are creating affirmations for yourself, you are trying to encourage yourself or encourage someone else, then, um, use words that are much more encouraging for them to succeed. Like, Hey, don't try, just do it. You can do it. <laughs> no need to just try it. Just do it. 
and these these are words that you know I, I've I've learned in school that you don't use in hypnosis because you don't want to program someone to possibly fail. You want them to feel and believe that they are going to f- succeed because that is the that is the the key to success is believing that you're going to succeed. That is the key to success. So you wouldn't want to insinuate any sense of doubt within someone by using the word try. <laughs> so that's another word that um that you can be aware of. Um, and again, it's really hard to fully avoid these, these, these words, but I just want you to be more aware of the words and how they do have um, a subtle negative connotation. Another word is should. <laughs> so should. Should has a bit of a negative context to it, but it's, it's probably one of the harder ones to fully avoid. And the reason why should has a negative context is because should is a word of almost command. You should do this. You should do that. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Um, it's, it's like this lecturing word. And it comes from a parental aspect, like, oh, you should have done it this way. Why didn't you do it that way? And, and should usually comes through. Um, and there's a saying, don't should on me, I won't should on you. <laughs> and this is like something known in the therapeutic world. And that's because should is, is casting a judgment on how something needs to be done. It's a, it's a way of putting on our judgment onto someone else. So, you know, when we tell ourselves, you should do this, you should do that, we're judging ourselves that we did not do something a certain way. And when we tell someone else, you should done this, you should do this, you should do that, we're then casting our judgment on someone else on how they should be doing something. And we're basically judging ourselves, judging other people through that word of should. When you know, you could do something one way or another. That is, if I'm going to switch that word for anything, I would say, hey, you could do it this way or you could do it that way. Because the word should almost has this negative force of judgment put upon someone that may create um, a sense of uh, parenting on someone, trying to force someone to do something that you think that they should or should not do. <laughs> it is a word that does come from the authority figures. It comes from from parent, parent parental figures, the word should. So whenever I hear the word should, I know that's coming from a more authority part of them or a, a part that has been influenced to them from an authority figure or from a parental figure. And again, it's it's really difficult to fully avoid this word, but it is something that um, if we become cognizant on how these words are transcribed energetically, then we can choose alternative words that may help us communicate something more easily. So instead of telling someone, hey, you should do this or you should do that, I will tell someone, you could do this or you could do that. How does that sound to you even when I say that? Well, you you could you know, go out or you can stay at home. <laughs> you choose. It, it's more easy as you should go out or you should stay home. You know, it, it, it comes through very differently because they have a different vibration of, of what they're communicating behind the word. And these are the more trickier words. I'm not going to really go into details about the negative words like hate, ugly, disgusting, pathetic, pig, you know, stupid, you know, bad, or the ones that are quite 
more obvious to us. These are the trickier words that we may not be aware that are very immersed in our everyday English. (laughs) So I wanted to bring attention to that. So now that we discuss some of the negative words, let's talk about more positive words. But I want to highlight how these words really do have vibration. And I already told you about the water experiments done by Dr. Emoto, but this was also done in rice experiments. And this is another thing you can Google or look on YouTube if you'd like, but the rice experiments is something that has been duplicated over and over and over by many, many, many different people. And of course, maybe some of the um, the experiments were not uh, controlled. And what I mean by controlled is that, you know, they were not perfectly replicable, But there's a lot of people out there that duplicated the same results. So I'll explain it to you. So they're basically people would take three different rice, well, um, cultures of rice. So they would take and they would place them in, you know, jars and then they would close it, make sure that nothing got into it. So they had three jars full of rice and they would basically set them aside for three months was the typical range. And. What they would do, though, is while the jar was closed and the rice was inside, they would take the jar and they would basically speak to it or feel um, a certain feeling to it. And they would label the jars as well in order to, you know, make sure that they're separated. So, for example, one jar would be the jar of love and they would label it love. And when they took this jar of rice, they would hold it and they would speak words of love. So I love you. You know, you're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're great. Just like words of like love and and admiration to this, this rice. And then they would put it back. And so they would do that on a daily basis. And then the second jar, they would label it hate. And they would take the jar and they would speak to this jar with hateful words. So they would say, oh, you're ugly, you're pathetic, you're disgusting, you're um, horrendous, I hate you. And they would just say these words of hate to it. And then they would put it back. And then the third jar, um, they would label it ignore or not put any label on it. And they would completely ignore this jar. And so they would just neglect it. And over the three months, what they found, all of these experiments were replicable because they all found pretty much the same thing. And that the love rice jar, there were was maybe a, a speck, um, maybe like an inch or two, like a small speck um, of uh, fungus at the bottom of it. But in comparison to the other jar of hate, it was a lot less. And the jar of hate would have like two times or twofold the amount of fungus at the bottom of it. And then the neglect jar actually had even more. So it was like even threefold um, more fungus than the original like love jar. And so the degradation, the the deterioration of the rice was dependent on what words or emotions or feelings were expressed to that jar. And so this very clearly demonstrates the same thing that Masari Moto showed in regards to his water experiments of the crystals, that words have a vibration and the words that you tell something or someone is going to affect it, <laughs> including the words that we tell ourselves. So 
going back to the positive words. We're going to want to be aware of the positive things that we tell ourselves. And so what are those positive words? It's positive words of love. (laughs) It's positive words of encouragement. So of gratitude. Gratitude is one of those words that is just so positive. And it's just, um, that was the one of those big words that Dr. Emoto even did with children. You know, they were just in a circle and they would talk, say all the things that they're thankful and have gratitude towards. And it just has this beautiful crystal of, of, of love, you know? And so if we have more gratitude, if we express love, if we, if we show um, all the positive things, if we see the glasses half full as opposed to half empty, then it creates this positive experience of something that is nurtured longer and not decomposed. <laughs> it nurtures, it, it, it waters the flower or the seeds of, of, of that to, to live, to be um, nurtured in this environment for a longer period of time, just like the rice. So, being more conscious. That's why in the morning, for example, when we are first waking up and we are very open and we're in this hypnagogic state is what they call it, where you're in that sleep awake state where you're just coming out of sleep. It's called hypnagogic. Your body is very open to suggestions. So you're going to want to tell yourself all your positive words of affirmations, your gratitude, your self-love, your self-encouragement. And you're going to want to avoid any negative words that you would have otherwise said if, if you were not aware of all these things now. <laughs> so, so telling yourself, yourself all the positive things on a daily basis these these words of affirmations really do vibrate and create a different vibration in our body because our body is full of water we are more than 60 percent water and so if dr emoto was able to demonstrate how words affect the water in the bottles then how do those words not affect us if we're telling ourselves that because we are mostly water (laughs) so I'm going to end this conversation by encouraging you starting your morning, ending your day with positive words of affirmation, creating that vibration in your body so you can sleep through the night with that, that those positive vibrations and wake up in the morning so you can start your day with those positive vibrations of the things that you tell yourself and being aware of the negative things that you tell yourself so that we can choose more neutral and positive words that create a more neutral, positive experience in our body and outside of our body or simply with other people. (laughs) Thanks for listening and I hope you gained some newfound insights or realizations. If you would like future alerts on new episodes, be sure to hit the subscribe. You can also join me, your host, on Instagram to continue this conversation, ask questions, or just to give us feedback because we love hearing from you, the listener. Just search in the handle Ann Balkansky, or you can check below in the show notes all of our social media links, as well as how else you can get connected. Until next time, have a great one.